The Good Neighbor Network, FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and online at WGNSRadio.com. This is the WGNS Action Line, talking with Rutherford County newsmakers about what matters most to you. Your host, J. Paul Newman of the Monthly District Attorney Show, will now take you on a journey to explore recent Rutherford County court cases, cold cases, and more. We welcome everyone to the program. My name is J. Paul Newman. My co-host today, Rutherford County Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. We thank WGNS for providing the airtime. And we also thank our producer, Scott Walker. Most of all, we thank you for listening. In our Inside the Court segment, Rutherford County Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch will tell us about recent and upcoming grand jury, general sessions, and circuit court activity. Then, in the ever-popular What's the Law segment, Trevor Lynch will discuss an area of the law that dramatically impacts our community. We will begin our broadcast with our Call to Conviction segment. And that will begin after you listen to these important messages. Hi, this is Peter Demas. Join our family at Demas's Restaurant. So many people buy so many different things. You know, I go out to eat and I like eating steak where my wife will end up getting her salmon. Our salmon is cut fresh, so she loves our salmon. It's one of those places that you can go. You can get pastas or chicken. You know, the kids love it. Get what you want at Demas's Restaurant and not be limited just to one or two items. Join our family at Demas's Restaurant. 1115 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro. Hi, this is Amanda from Animal City, and our hand-fed baby bird nursery is starting to fill up. If you are looking for your next sweet feathered companion, come in and see us. Find your next pre-loved, pre-spoiled pet here at Animal City. Be sure to check out our downstairs level. Here at Animal City, we would like to thank Murfreesboro for letting us be your family-owned and operated pet store for 33 years. Animal City is located at 919 Northwest Broad Street. Attention all nurses. A hiring fair will be held at the VA in Murfreesboro on the Alvin C. York Medical Center campus on Thursday between 8 in the morning and 2 in the afternoon. The VA is looking for registered nurses, licensed practical nurses, and nursing assistants interested in outpatient, specialty, and inpatient care. This will be a walk-in hiring fair at the Alvin C. York Medical Center. The hiring fair is hosted by the VA Tennessee Valley Healthcare System on Thursday, July 13th from 8 until 2. A search for truth. My name is J. Paul Newman. Our case study today is the 2015 murder of Heather Nicole Maples. From call to conviction, time now for a look back at one of the more intriguing and important cases for this community. From the crime, the investigation, to the prosecution. 
on January the 31st, 2015, 25-year-old Heather Nicole Maples arrived in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Heather Maples had just left her home in Mesquite, Texas. She came to Murfreesboro hoping to fulfill her dreams and further her education. While in Murfreesboro, Heather obtained employment. She was a leasing agent at the Cove Apartments. Heather Maples also lived at the apartment complex. While working, Heather was also applying to become a student at a local university. Her goal was to study psychology. During the summer of 2015, Heather Maples was thrilled to learn that Middle Tennessee State University had accepted her as a student. Heather Maples was to begin her new life as a college student in the fall semester of 2015. Heather Maples' life and future was now on the upswing. She thought all was well, and it was, until August the 7th, 2015. August the 7th, 2015 would be the last day of Heather Maples' new life, for it was the day that Heather Nicole Maples was brutally raped and murdered. It was around 7 a.m. when a friend and co-worker of Heather Maples became concerned when Heather Maples did not show up for work. The co-worker walked to Heather Maples' apartment. Once inside, the co-worker made a grisly discovery, one that she will never be able to forget. She found her friend and co-worker face down in the bed. It was obvious that Heather Maples had been murdered, and it appeared she may have been raped. The co-worker called the Murfreesboro Police Department. When the police arrive on the scene, they determined that this was a major crime scene. They carefully processed the apartment for clues. Their primary focus was the body of Heather Maples and her bedroom. The officers see that Heather Maples' head was covered with a blood-stained pillowcase. And next to her body, the police observed an area of blood. When they looked closer at the blood area, they discovered what appeared to be a bloody fingerprint. Also, foreign hair was found on her body. The police also saw that one of Heather Maples' fingernails was broken off, and they observed marks on Heather Maples' neck. Looking closer, they also saw that she had a large laceration to her head. As the crime scene was being processed, the body of Heather Maples was taken to Nashville where an autopsy was performed. The autopsy determined that Heather Maples died as a result of blunt force trauma to the head and asphyxiation. There was also a rape kit collected to be examined by the Tennessee Bureau of Investigation Crime Laboratory. As the Murfreesboro police conducted interviews and chased down leads, the TBI Crime Laboratory was working overtime processing the fingerprint evidence and the rape kit. It was the forensic evidence that first developed a suspect. TBI forensic scientist Dave Hooper was able to identify the bloody fingerprint found on the bed as being the right thumb fingerprint of Brandon Richmond Bowling. 
Brandon Bowling was a senior at Middle Tennessee State University, and he knew Heather Maples. Based primarily on the findings of the TBI laboratory, on August the 14th, 2015, Detective Tommy Massey of the Murfreesboro Police Department located and arrested Brandon Bowling. A DNA sample was taken from Brandon Bowling and forwarded to the TBI. The sample was compared to the semen found on the body of Heather Maples. TBI forensic scientist Chad Johnson determined that the semen found on the body of Heather Maples matched the DNA sample of Brandon Richmond Bowling. On August the 26, 2015, this evidence and more was presented at Brandon Bowling's preliminary hearing. General Sessions Judge Ben Hall McFarlane presided over the hearing. Brandon Bowling was represented by attorney Paul Bruno. The state was represented by Assistant District Attorney J. Paul Newman. During the three-hour hearing, Newman called to the stand Murfreesboro Detective Tommy Massey and TBI Special Agents and Forensic Scientists Dave Hooper and Chad Johnson. Following the hearing, Judge McFarland found that there was sufficient evidence to forward the case to the Rutherford County Grand Jury. Judge McFarland also set Brandon Bowling's bond. The amount set was $1 million. Following the preliminary hearing, even more evidence would surface. The foreign hair found on the body of Heather Maples was sent to scientists in Texas for DNA examination. The examination determined that the foreign hair belonged to Brandon Bowling. While the hair examination was being conducted, the cell phone of Brandon Bowling was also being examined. On Brandon Bowling's cell phone, authorities discover a video. The video records what appears to be the last minutes of Heather Maples' life. The video shows Heather Maples on her bed, face down. She appears to be semi-conscious. The video shows her head covered with a bloody pillowcase. And on the video, you can see the bloody fingerprint. Finally, the video appears to have captured and recorded the rape of Heather Nicole Maples. On November the 3rd, 2015, the Rutherford County Grand Jury indicted 22-year-old Brandon Richmond Bowling for the murder and rape of 25-year-old Heather Nicole Maples. Brandon Bowling was represented by Lebanon, Tennessee attorney Jack Lowry and Murfreesboro attorney Paul Bruno. The prosecution team was led by Assistant District Attorney J. Paul Newman. Newman was assisted by Assistant District Attorneys Dana Minor and Matt Westmoreland. After many months of pretrial motions, hearings, and negotiation, Brandon Bowling's case was set for trial. But before the trial date arrived, Brandon Bowling decided that he did not want a jury to decide his fate. On February the 6th, 2018, Brandon Bowling appeared with his attorneys in the courtroom of Judge David Bragg, prepared to enter a plea of guilty to the murder and rape of Heather Maples. Pursuant to the plea agreement, Judge David Bragg sentenced Brandon Bowling to serve 40 years in prison on the charge of second-degree murder. And Judge Bragg sentenced Brandon Bowling to 15 years in prison on the charge of aggravated rape. 
to be served concurrently with the murder sentence. At the plea, Heather Maple's mother was present. Also present was the mother of Brandon Bowling. Following the plea, Heather Maple's mother approached Brandon Bowling's mother and embraced her. Heather Maple's mother later said, I wanted to make sure that she and I connected because they are victims too. They did not plan this. They had hopes for their child, just like we had hopes for ours. Heather Maple's mother later said that she had forgiven Brandon Bowling. This mother showed outstanding dignity in her actions, true compassion for others in her thoughts, and a mother's love for her daughter in her heart. There can be no greater tribute to the life of Heather Nicole Maples. In the months that followed Brandon Bowling's plea, Brandon Bowling sought a hearing to undo his plea agreement. By the time the hearing was finally heard, I had retired and the case was taken over by Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. When we return, we will welcome to the WGNS microphones Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch, and he will discuss the issues and the outcome of Brandon Bowling's attempt to undo his guilty plea to the murder of Heather Nicole Maples. Hi, this is Mike Cutter. I am the owner of the award-winning family-owned home care agency, Honey Hill Home Care. Are you or a loved one in need of a reliable, compassionate caregiver? We take the time to match our experienced caregivers with your family member to ensure a comfortable and lasting bond. With us, you can have peace of mind knowing your loved one will receive exceptional assistance, monitoring, and companionship from a trusted caregiver they can rely on. Honey Hill has been the trusted source for home care for hundreds of families in Rutherford County over the last seven years. Learn more at HoneyHillHC.com. Shooing seagulls away from our beach snacks is easy, but keeping my frequent heartburn away? That was a full-time job. I had to chew up to 10 antacids a day to manage it. Then I tried Prilosec OTC. Just one pill a day blocks my frequent heartburn for a full 24 hours, giving me one-and-done heartburn relief. Thanks to Prilosec OTC, now my heartburn's on vacation too. Prilosec OTC. One pill a day, 24 hours, zero heartburn. It's possible while taking Prilosec OTC. Use as directed for 14 days to treat frequent heartburn, not for immediate relief. Here at the Almond Joy Factory, where tropical vibes abound, we use soft, fresh-tasting coconut. The crunchiest almonds and delicious chocolate candy. Ah, but do you know what our most important ingredient is? Sometimes you feel like a nut. Sometimes you don't. Almond Joy's got nuts and something even way better than that. Yes, Almond Joy is made with almonds and Join me, America's career coach, Ken Coleman, weekdays live at noon here on News Radio WGNS for practical advice to help you discover the work you were born to do. This is Sean Brown at Tire World on Broad Street. Did you know we specialize in commercial and fleet business? We're equipped to handle all of your company's automotive needs. Download our Tire World app today for free oil changes and electronic coupons. Come by today for all of your automotive needs online at tireworld.us. Good Neighbor Talk covers issues you won't hear anywhere else. They're local issues. WTNS, AM, AM, FM, FM, online. 
the WGNS microphones, Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch. And Trevor Lynch will discuss the issues and the outcome of Brandon Bowling's attempt to undo his plea of guilty to the murder of Heather Nicole Maples. Trevor, tell us about the post-conviction. Certainly, and thank you for having me here again today. So the attempt that he made is called post-conviction relief. That is a process that after the case is either disposed of by plea or trial and goes through the initial appeals process, that is appealing to the Court of Criminal Appeals, issues in the trial or issues with the plea, and then having an opportunity to ask the Supreme Court to consider issues from the trial or issues from the plea, the case goes back to the trial court. And the individual then has the opportunity to ask for post-conviction relief. Issues that have now come up after everything has been done, most of the time those resolve issues with the attorney. My attorney did a bad job. In this particular case, the defendant filed for post-conviction alleging a variety of reasons, but the one that they focused on was saying that the video that was discussed in the call to conviction should have been excluded because the search warrant used to obtain it was invalid. And they began the process attacking Mr. Bruno, Mr. Lowry, for not filing a motion to suppress that evidence. When you went through the search warrant, there was a technical problem with the search warrant that did have merit to it. The problem that we had in this particular case is it happened during COVID, or rather it was filed prior to COVID. As we went through our COVID pandemic, the case was delayed multiple times. After several years, we finally were able to get it into court, had a hearing. The odd thing about this one, or the interesting thing about this one, is several days before the hearing was scheduled, the defense attorney asked a complete asked for a complete copy of the court file. Once they obtained that court file, they found in there the motion that the defense attorney had filed to suppress the videotape. It was really that motion that opened the door to negotiations to have this case settled in the first place. So while the defense took the standpoint, or rather not the defense, but the post-conviction attorney took the position that Mr. Bruno and Mr. Lowry should have insisted that this motion be argued so that this video evidence would have been suppressed, what they didn't take into account was the other evidence that was available was also overwhelming. You had DNA from Mr. Bowling found on and inside of Miss Maples. You had a pubic hair found on Miss Maples. You had a fingerprint found pressed into her blood on her bed sheets. So there was evidence that was just overwhelming. And you had Mr. Bowling's initial denial saying, I had never been there. I was never in her apartment. So the evidence was still very strong. And so even in the fact that Mr. Lowry and Mr. Bruno could have potentially suppressed the video evidence, they still knew that their client had a substantial likelihood of being convicted. So they were able to negotiate with the state for a more favorable resolution. The other benefit they had, as opposed to having two very good defense attorneys, was the fact that you had a very compassionate family of Miss Maples, and they did not want to see this case go to trial. They wanted to have the case resolved. So it ultimately was able to be resolved. When we had this post-conviction hearing, all of this information came out before the court, and the court found overwhelming proof 
that Mr. Bruno and Mr. Lowry did not act in any kind of ineffective, uh, ineffective manner. They found that their actions actually was what was the catalyst to get this case resolved. When the case was appealed by the post-conviction attorney to the Court of Criminal Appeals saying, well, that trial court made a mistake on denying our post-conviction relief, the Court of Criminal Appeals echoed the trial court. They said the exact same things. No, there were no grounds for a post-conviction, and these attorneys, based on the motion that they filed, were the reason that this case was able to be brought back to the table, negotiated, and resolved. And so it was a long process. It was a heartbreaking process. It was a very difficult process to contact the family after several years when the case and they thought it was finally over with and tell them this case is coming back up. They're arguing, trying to withdraw the plea. And I asked that family, do you want us to agree to this and just say, okay, fine, we'll go forward on this and we'll go to trial. And even years later, the family had said, no, we, we are happy with this resolution. We do not want this to happen. Please fight this resolution. Please fight this motion. And so our office did, and we were able to prevail, and the Court of Criminal Appeals affirmed our trial court on it, and the case was resolved. And I also noticed that on June the 7th, 2023, just a few weeks ago, the Tennessee Supreme Court denied Brandon Bowling's appeal to them, and that was covered by WGNS. That's correct. And under this sentence that he presently has, his sentence will not expire until July the 19th, 2052. At that point, Mr. Bowling would be 59 years old. Any other comments, Trevor? Not that I can think of on this particular case. Once again, just I know the family was grateful for the work that you did on this case, bringing this case to a resolution. They were grateful to the office uh, afterwards after we had to fight his attempts to try and withdraw from his plea after his attorneys had negotiated with you to resolve the case, hopefully at that point in time for all. But we had to fight it once again, and they were grateful for our efforts in that. And when we return, Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch will take us all inside the courts. We're talking with Pat Wingo at Adams Place. I just thank God every night that my sons did the research and put my husband and I here because there's activities, there's great food, the people are awesome, the help, the staff is awesome. I thank God every night, and I'm so thankful for Adams Place. Hi, this is Terry Deal at Adams Place. Call me for more information about Adams Place, located at 1927 Memorial Boulevard, across from Walmart. When you turn to Turner Security, powered by TechCore, you can leave your security issues at the door. Security, access control, cameras, and much more for your business and home. No long-term contract. We keep your business because we did a great job, not because you sign a five-year agreement. One call does it all for your security and technology needs. Online at turnersecurity.us. That's turnersecurity.us. Turn to Turner Security. If you're looking for an authentic relationship with financial experts who genuinely care about your unique needs, Capstar Bank is for you. Capstar Bank is dedicated to the people of this community. Capstar Bank wants to help you reach your financial goals. Because at Capstar Bank, you matter to us. Capstar Bank, 2230 Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, capstarbank.com, member FDIC, equal housing lender. 
Broadcasting from the Middle Tennessee Electric Studios, MTE Sharing Change has now donated more than $11 million to local nonprofits assisting worthy causes in our community. MTE, serving to make life better since 1936. The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. Good morning, everyone. This is Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch, and today I will be your tour guide through this episode of Inside the Courts. We begin this segment by stating that none of the defendants named in upcoming trials or hearings have been convicted, and of course they are presumed by our law to be innocent. With that as a prelude, we will now go Inside the Courts. Currently in our General Sessions Court, Focam Cesarino. On March 16th of 2023, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department were dispatched to a residence on Swanson Lane in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. In response to a 911 call where officers located the body of that, that say, say Serino. Miss Say Serino had been beaten to death in her garage and her throat had been cut. The victim's husband, Focam Say Serino, was unaccounted for. Mr. Say Serino was later found covered in blood. After conducting an interview of Mr. Cesarino, he was charged with first-degree murder. Detective Richard Presley with the Murfreesboro Police Department has been assigned as lead investigator. Mr. Cesarino is represented by the Office of the District Public Defender and is scheduled to appear in the General Sessions Court on July 25, 2023. The state will be represented by Assistant District Attorney Sarah Davis. In the matter of Celine Hamilton, on February 15th of 2023, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a 911 call of shots fired at an apartment complex on Puckett Creek in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Officers discovered that the body of Miss Rebecca Stockton was on the floor of her apartment. Miss Stockton had been shot multiple times. Detective Julie Cox was assigned as lead investigator. Miss Stockton's live-in boyfriend, Celine Hamilton, was missing. A manhunt for Mr. Hamilton was ordered, and Mr. Hamilton was located in Corbin, Kentucky. Mr. Hamilton was found to be in possession of the rental car of Miss Stockton and a 45 caliber semi-automatic handgun. Miss Stockton was shot and killed by a 40 caliber semi-automatic handgun. Mr. Hamilton was charged in Kentucky with possession of a firearm by a convicted felon and is currently in custody in Whitley County. Mr. Hamilton has been charged with first-degree murder by the Murfreesboro Police Department and awaits extradition. In the matter of Malik Smith, on February 13th of 2023, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a 911 call in reference to a stabbing at Ransom Drive residence in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Upon entry, officers discovered the body of Mr. Philip Maddox on the floor in his bedroom. Mr. Maddox had been stabbed multiple times. Witnesses on scene advised that Mr. Maddox's roommate, Malik Smith, admitted to stabbing Mr. Maddox. Officers located Mr. Smith, and Mr. Smith confirmed the witness's claim that he stabbed Mr. Maddox. Detective David Miller of the Murfreesboro Police Department has been assigned as lead investigator. After a search of the residence, collection of evidence, and interviewing all witnesses, Mr. Smith was charged with first-degree murder. On May 31st of this year, a preliminary hearing was held, and the court found probable cause to bind the matter over to a grand jury. Mr. Smith is represented by counsel Mr. John Slager, and I will be representing the state of Tennessee. 
in the matter of Candace Davis on October 6 of 2022, officers with the Laverne Police Department were dispatched to a residence on Almond Place in Laverne, Tennessee, in response to a shooting that led to the death of the homeowner, Robin Taylor. Detective Tanner Noakes has been assigned as lead investigator. Ms. Taylor's sister, Candace Davis, was on scene when officers arrived. After initially claiming an unknown subject shot her sister and ran away, Ms. Davis later changed her story and claimed her sister attacked her and she shot Ms. Taylor in self-defense. Upon conclusion of Detective Noakes' investigation, and in light of the evidence collected on scene, it was determined that Ms. Davis was not justified in shooting Ms. Taylor. She was subsequently charged with second-degree murder. This matter is currently set in the general was this matter was set in the general sessions court of Rutherford County, and a preliminary hearing was held on November 22nd. At that hearing, the court heard witnesses and determined that probable cause existed to bind the matter over to the grand jury. The defendant is represented by counsel Thompson Kirkpatrick, and I am representing the state. In the matter of Jeffrey Burris, on July 6, 2022, deputies with the Rutherford County Sheriff's Department responded to a residence on Panther Creek Road in response to a shooting. After receiving a 911 call, deputies discovered the body of Mr. Clarence Rowden. Mr. Rowden had been shot multiple times. Witnesses identified Mr. Jeffrey Burris as the shooter. Mr. Burris was located and found to be possession of a firearm. Mr. Burris was taken into custody and interviewed by Detective Kyle Norard of the Rutherford County Sheriff's Department. Upon the conclusion of the investigation, Mr. Burris was charged with the first-degree murder of Mr. Rowden. On December 8th of 2022, Mr. Burris appeared in the General Sessions Court of Rutherford County and bound his case over to the grand jury. Mr. Burris is represented by counsel, Mr. Josh Crane, and I will be representing the state of Tennessee. Key Anthony Martez Williams. On August 30th of 2022, officers with the Smyrna Police Department responded to a shooting at a gas station on Sam Ridley Parkway. Mr. Nicholas Patterson had been shot during the course of an attempted robbery. Mr. Patterson later died as a result of his injuries. Surveillance video showed an armed subject enter the store, point the firearm at Mr. Patterson, and fire at least one shot into the ceiling of the store and then shoot Mr. Patterson before running out of the store. Detective Steve Hanna with the Smyrna Police Department has been assigned as lead investigator. As a result of two other robberies, one in Brentwood and one in Nashville, Mr. Anthony Williams was identified as a suspect. Upon execution of a search warrant, Mr. Williams was taken into custody and found to be in possession of a firearm. Mr. Williams was interviewed by law enforcement and at the conclusion of the interview, Mr. Williams was charged with first-degree murder, attempted aggravated robbery, and possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. Mr. Williams is being held at the Rutherford County Adult Detention Center and awaits conclusion of a mental health evaluation. Mr. Williams is represented by counsel Mr. Ben Wetzel, and I will be representing the state of Tennessee. In the matter of Apollo Cantrell, on April 24th, 2021, officers on patrol heard shots fired and responded to 1621 Middle Tennessee Boulevard. Officers found Mr. Sakir Ali, who had been shot and later died from his injuries. Apollo Cantrell was identified as the shooter and fled the state. Detective Richard Presley of the Mercerboro Police Department was assigned as lead investigator. Through cooperation with the state of Iowa, 
Mr. Cantrell was apprehended. He is presently incarcerated in the Rutherford County Adult Detention Center on charges of second-degree murder and possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. He is represented by counsel, Mr. Will Fraley. A preliminary hearing was held on February 7th of 2022, and the General Sessions Court found probable cause to bind the matter over to the grand jury. The defendant will next appear before a circuit court judge on September 27th of this year. Currently set for trial, Albert Mustafa. On June 27th of 2018, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a shooting on Old Las Casas Pike. Upon arrival, officers located Mr. Dylan Biddle Jr., who had sustained multiple gunshot wounds. Mr. Biddle later died from his injuries. Officers also were also contacted about an unknown male that had been shot and attempting to get into vehicles at Reeves Rogers Elementary School. That male was later identified as Albert Mustafa. Detective Doug Arrington and Tommy Massey were assigned as lead investigators. Multiple witnesses were interviewed and evidence on scene was collected. Upon conclusion of the investigation, it was determined that Mr. Mustafa and a Mr. Devante Janes went to the residence on Old Las Casas with the intent to commit a robbery. Mr. Biddle, who was a guest at the residence, was confronted by Mr. Mustafa and Mr. James when they had entered the residence and attempted to rob him. During the course of the attempted robbery, Mr. Biddle was shot and killed. Mr. Biddle, however, was able to return fire and Mr. Mustafa sustained a single gunshot wound as a result. Mr. Mustafa and Mr. James were charged with first-degree felony murder, attempted aggravated robbery, employing a weapon during a dangerous felony, and a conspiracy. Mr. James was represented by counsel, Mr. Russell Perkins, and entered a plea on May 19th of this year. Mr. Mustafa is represented by counsel, Mr. Thomas Parkerson, and I'll be representing the state. This matter is currently set for trial August 14th of this year. In the matter of Coy Lillard and Gregory Lyons, on September 27th of 2020, officers with the Murfreesboro Police Department responded to a call regarding gunshots on Gunnerson Avenue. Upon arrival, officers located Mr. Javaris Malone. Mr. Malone had a single gunshot wound to the chest. Law enforcement officers and EMTs worked to save Mr. Malone, but he did not survive his injuries. Detective Cody Thomas with the Murfreesboro Police Department was assigned as lead investigator. Upon interviewing witnesses, obtaining apartment complex security footage, and using cell phone and GPS data, Mr. Gregory Lyons and Mr. Corey Lillard were identified as suspects. At the conclusion of Detective Thomas's investigation, Mr. Lyons and Mr. Lillard were charged with first-degree murder, employing a weapon during a dangerous felony, attempt to sell a Schedule I drug, conspiracy to sell a Schedule I drug. Mr. Lyons was transferred from juvenile court and indicted by Rutherford County Grand Jury in February of last year. Mr. Lyons is represented by counsel, Mr. Real Fraley. Mr. Lillard had a preliminary hearing before Rutherford County General Sessions Court and upon proof presented to the court, his case was bound over to the grand jury and Mr. Lillard was also indicted in February of last year. Mr. Lillard is represented by counsel, Mr. Darren Drake. I will be representing the state. This matter is currently set for trial to begin August 21st through August 25th of this year. State versus Brian Berry. On April 30th of 2018, the Laverne Police Department responded to George Buchanan Drive in response to a shooting. Emergency personnel transported the victim, identified as a juvenile, to Vanderbilt Hospital. The victim died from his injuries. 
The victim's younger siblings were present at the time of the shooting. Detective Ryan Hudgens was assigned as lead investigator, assisted by Detective Steve Krantz. It was determined that the victim was attempting to buy a cell phone that had been advertised on social media. At the conclusion of the investigation, it was determined that Brian Berry and Marquez Hughes lured the victim to the location with the intent to rob the victim. During the course of the robbery, either Mr. Berry or Mr. Hughes shot the victim. The defendants have been indicted for first-degree murder, aggravated robbery, and conspiracy. Brian Berry is represented by counsel Mr. Russell Nixon. I'll be representing the state. This matter is currently set for trial to begin September 18th of 2023. And that concludes our look inside the courts. The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. Skies become mostly sunny here for this afternoon, high in the low 90s. North winds at 5 to 10 miles per hour. Tonight, partly cloudy, low near 69. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 72. Good morning. Traffic still looks good right now on 24 coming in from Rutherford County up through the Hickory Hollow area. Not bad. I-40 in the Mount Julian area. A little bit of radar in parts of Wilson-Smith County this morning. Uh, normally it'd be a little bit heavy over here on 65 southbound in Trinity Lane. It's actually looking pretty good down through there right now. Princess Hot Chicken is catering. Check out their menu today. You can even order online at princesshotchicken.com. I'm Commander Chuck with your on-time traffic. Hi, this is Gator with Tire World Off-Road. We're your local rough country dealer. So when you're ready to add some character to your rig, ask for Gator at Tire World Off-Road on Memorial Boulevard. This is Sean Brown at Tire World on Broad Street. Online at tireworld.us. Broadcasting from the Middle Tennessee Electric Studios. Take control of your account management and energy consumption with the MyMTE app. Download from the App Store and manage your account, improve your energy habits and more. MTE, serving to make life better since 1936. The Action Line on FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. Good morning, listeners, and thank you all for joining us today in this episode of What's the Law? This morning, I'm going to discuss Tennessee's law on criminal conspiracy. So what is a criminal conspiracy? A criminal conspiracy consists of an agreement between two or more persons for the purpose of accomplishing a criminal or unlawful act, or an objective that may be neither criminal or unlawful, but is achieved by unlawful means. The unlawful agreement is the essential is the essence of a criminal conspiracy. The offense ordinarily is complete when the combination of conspirators is formed and at least one overt act is performed. The United States Supreme Court has repeatedly said that the essence of a conspiracy is an agreement to commit an unlawful act. The law forbids such agreements for a variety of reasons, not the least of which is because actions in concert with others decreases the likelihood that the conspirators will turn from their agreement upon criminal plans and makes the commission of that or other crimes more likely. Because a conspiracy is a distinct evil, independent of the crime that is the object of the conspiracy, the agreement to commit a crime may be prosecuted and punished regardless of whether the intended crime occurs. In showing the existence of a conspiracy, two main elements must be proven. Number one, an agreement between two or more persons to act together 
in committing an offense, and two, an overt act in furtherance of the conspiracy. It is the common design that is the essence of the conspiracy. This may be shown when the parties steadily pursue the same objective, whether acting separately, together, by common or different means, but always leading to the same result, meaning you can have one party engaged in one activity, the second party engaged in a completely different activity, but both activities are designed to lead to the same result, the crime. Mere knowledge by an alleged conspirator that an unlawful act has occurred or has been agreed upon with, but without participation does not make one a conspirator. So if I'm in a room and I hear three people planning a robbery, I know a robbery is about to occur. I have all the knowledge of the plans, but I don't do anything in furtherance of it. I don't participate in any of the planning. I just have knowledge of it. I am not part of the conspiracy. However, if there is a concert of design, there need not be participation in every detail of its execution or knowledge of the scope of the conspiracy. So in that same situation, I know a robbery is about to occur. I know there's a planning part of it. And the one thing that they need is somebody to provide a car. And I say, you can use my car. I'm now part of the conspiracy. An essential part of any conspiracy conviction is a showing that a particular defendant knew of and adopted the conspiracy's main objective. Everyone entering into a conspiracy is a party to every act that has been done before by others and to every act done by others afterward in furtherance of the common design. The act of one is considered the act of all, and therefore it's imputable to all. Where one co-conspirator commits the target crime in the absence of the other, the absence of one is equally guilty. The absent one is equally guilty as a principle. Each conspirator and accomplice is deemed to assent to what is done by any other in furtherance of the common objective. Once a conspiracy is shown to exist, the law permits the conviction of one conspirator for all the substantive offenses of the other conspirators committed during and in furtherance of the conspiracy, even if the offense is not an object of the conspiracy. The formation of a conspiracy in and of itself is a crime, separate and distinct from the offense which was the purpose of the conspiracy, and it is not merged in with the completed crime when it is consummated. So if I'm charged with conspiracy and I'm charged with a robbery, I can be convicted of both. And this has been a brief glimpse at the law on conspiracy. Thank you for joining us today or this morning. Stay safe and God bless. As we end our program today, we thank WGNS for providing the airtime. And we thank our producer, Scott Walker. Most of all, we thank you for listening. We leave now by saying... A safe community is the responsibility of each and every one of us. For my two co-hosts, Rutherford County District Attorney General Jennings Jones and Rutherford County Assistant District Attorney Trevor Lynch, this is J. Paul Newman bidding all of you a safe and blessed day.
The District Attorney's Office thanks you for listening to today's program. If you have any information regarding criminal activity in our community, please contact one of our law enforcement agencies. The information presented on today's show is solely for informational benefit and not intended to be legal advice. You should always consult an attorney whenever you need or rely on legal advice. Rutherford County's most trusted name in news. Talk Radio WGNS, Murfreesboro.